Hello and welcome to How to Be a Money Magpie, the podcast from moneymagpie.com. I'm Jasmine Bertles, the founder of Money Magpie, and this podcast series looks at all sorts of aspects of money, from investing to cryptocurrencies to making money on the side and even to macroeconomics. And indeed, Today, we are looking at macroeconomics, in particular inflation and the spectre of stagflation. Well, I'm really thrilled to say that I have someone who knows a lot about this subject, uh, certainly more than I do, and he's here to talk about it. And it's Nick Hubble, who is editor of Fortune and Freedom, which is a newsletter published by Southbank Investment Research. Nick, welcome to the Money Magpie podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great. So let's start with inflation, because in the UK, we've already seen inflation bust out of the 2% cap that the Bank of England is supposed to aim for. In the USA, it's over 5%. The Bank of England saying, oh, it's going up to 3% at least in this country. How is all this happening? Well, it depends who you ask. So there's lots of different views on inflation, and my own are a little bit more controversial. So I've got to give the you know, the Bank of England, their due, mm-hmm. their understanding is that it's down to a measurement error in the sense that last year was a little bit unusual in a lot of different ways. And all the other countries are actually experiencing the same problem where how they measure inflation is sort of been a little bit mucked up by what happened in 2020. Our consumption patterns changed dramatically, how much we consume changed dramatically. And of course, the price of things changed dramatically. So for example, travel used to be a big part of the inflation calculation, but we couldn't travel last year and travel prices plunged. And different countries deal with that in different ways, their inflation statistics. So a lot of what's happened is, is because of that unusual year in 2020. But there's also the issue of how much money has been printed in order to try and keep the economy ticking over and financial markets especially ticking over. And historically, that can lead to inflation. There's the issue of how much the government had to spend, which could lead to inflation historically as well. So the big question on everyone's mind, especially central bankers, is is this just a one-off, unusual year that we're comparing it to last year? Because the inflation statistics usually year on year, meaning we look at this, this month compared to the same month last year. Or is this the beginning of something bigger? Is this inflation sparking and and will it go on to get completely out of control? I mean, uh, yes, as you're talking about what different people are saying, what we're hearing, as you say, from central bankers is it's just a blip. It's just a little blip. It'll go back in, in a few months time. I mean, really, literally in months. But then, as you say, there is all of this money washing around. And it does seem to me that they, they're not going to stop printing the money, at least this year. Do you think that's one of the reasons why you're feeling it's going to be more like stagflation than inflation? First of all, the forecast of economists and central bankers have not been so good on, on many things, especially not on inflation. They've been trying to get to 2% and they failed for a very long time in many parts of the world. So there's that to consider. Secondly, their motivations for projections are a little bit iffy because The government benefits from inflation in the sense that its massive debts, especially the ones incurred since COVID, will be inflated away, meaning it'll be easier to repay them because prices have risen while the amount of debt doesn't rise with inflation. So there's many different factors like that going into this issue. And what people need to really consider is that there is a risk that inflation does get out of hand. Now, we can argue lots of what the, the probabilities of that risk are. But it's my job to explain to people why they should be concerned about this 
And there is this chance, and again, we can argue about what the chance is, but there is this chance that inflation will get out of control. And so the, the real question is then, what is that chance? And if we go and look back through history or we go and look back through you know, economics and economic theory, we can start to get some idea of what that chance is. Obviously, we're, we're interested in the UK. You've been mentioning central bankers. This is happening across the world. Is, is that right? Is it, is it basically particularly Western countries, would you say? That's a bit of a misnomer in the sense that what is behind a lot of the inflation so far? It's the rising cost of what goes into producing consumer prices. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't the money printing and the government deficit because they can affect commodity prices. But the point is inflation measured at the producer price level, PPI, instead of the consumer price level, CPI, that triggered inflation fears long ago that have now started to show up in consumer price inflation. So often people call this factory gate prices. It's the, the cost of things going into the factory which then goes on to cause the consumer price inflation. And so these commodity booms have affected the whole world. Now, some parts of, of the world benefit from higher commodity prices and some parts don't because they import commodities. So the inflation has been uneven in that sense. But even in China, which imports a lot of commodities, they've had this issue of literally you know, rationing commodity prices and, and trying to put in price controls on commodity prices so that the inflation doesn't get passed through their economy and then ours. So it's a global phenomenon because so far, at least, it's been driven by the producer price inflation, the commodity prices. So what about stagflation? We've been talking about ordinary inflation. What is stagflation and how does it happen? In order to answer that question, I've got to explain a little bit of something that most economists don't understand and take into account. And it's the idea that not all GDP is created equal. There's wasted GDP and there's things that are worth investing in and, and worth producing. And what a recession really is, is when past mistakes are corrected. You know, when factories producing things that should not have been produced are changed over to producing things that they should have been. And so during that corrective phase, you do get less economic activity. That's what economists focus on. But for example, if you shouldn't have been building as many houses as you were, such as in the US in the early 2000s and in Spain, you should have been doing something else. The recession is a correction of that mistaken activity that was going on in favor of what you should have been doing all along. Now, if you accept that, which most economists I don't think do, then you get a rich understanding of what stagflation is. What we've had is very similar to the housing bubbles creation, where lots of economic activity that shouldn't have been happening, just like in 2005 was in housing in the US and parts of Europe, that economic activity has been happening over the last few years as a result of lots of government stimulus. So there's all these mistakes in the economy, all these mistaken investments that's waiting to be reallocated to something that is worth doing. And that, that problem has been papered over by central banks and by government stimulus for a very long time now. What stagflation is, is this moment where the economy both goes through a recession because it's reallocating its capital, it's reallocating its economic activity, while also you have inflation where prices rise. The reason economists don't understand this is because they don't understand that there's different types of economic activity, economic activity worth doing and not worth doing. So they don't understand that there can be a recession during inflation. So it was a big mystery to them when it happened in the 70s. So what mistakes did we make? Because I, I certainly don't, I'm not, I'm not aware of us building huge numbers of houses. What, what, what were we doing in the UK that's created this? That's the big mystery. So where are the misallocations of capital this time around? If we knew what the big mistake was, then we could fix it. And the government would be able to control the economy. 
weird you know you're trying to get your head around as you say stagflation a poor economy and yet inflation at the same time it kind of doesn't somehow compute if inflation does get out of control for, for us for individuals at home trying to cope what, what, what are the things that we can do? Because, you know, it, this may mean that we're losing jobs. I mean, inflation should mean that our, our pay goes up. I haven't seen it happen so far, frankly. But the, definitely the price of food, petrol, etc., that's going to go up. So what, what should we as individuals do to protect ourselves? That's what I spend most of my time researching at the moment. And so far, the conclusions I've come up with, along with actually some colleagues who are also worried about the same thing and have been writing about the same thing, is that inflations come in many different shapes and sizes and, and forms. So we've spoken about stagflation. It's also possible that governments will, will spend so much and stimulate the economy so much that you get like an inflationary boom. You get economic activity soaring and inflation soaring. So what you should do depends on what type of inflation we get. One of the very few assets that performs well, historically speaking, in almost all types of inflation is gold. Now, gold's not very exciting in the sense that it tends not to soar completely during inflation, but it does preserve wealth over very long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And because it's so difficult to invest during inflationary periods, preserving your wealth over long periods of time is probably one of the better options. Um, you can speculate in financial markets, but they tend to crash at some point during inflation. Or in some types of inflation, stock markets underperform at the initial part of the inflationary period, as they did in the 70s, because it was stagflation. It was poor economic performance during the inflation. So it depends what sort of inflation we're going to get. Personally, the, the conclusions that I've reached are that gold and gold stocks, gold mining stocks, are, are two of the better areas for inflation. But even they are not foolproof. And we you know it depends entirely on what sort of inflation we end up getting. The big challenge with inflation historically is that you need to get rid of your cash. You need to avoid you know, cash in the bank, cash in the hand, and also investments that are very similar to cash, such as bonds, because you know, you're getting this money back that's, that's not going to be worth as much in the future. What you do with it is the big challenge. And I know, for example, people in Argentina, they save, instead of saving in money, they save in bricks. And at some point, they've saved enough bricks to build a house. Oh, so wow. you know, that's how they go about it, because the financial system is such a mess because of the inflation. The mortgages don't really function properly and the interest rates are out of way. We've spoken a lot about the US because the US dollar is the global reserve currency, meaning most trade around the world happens in US dollars. If the US is one of the places experiencing inflation, that effectively means it's exported to the whole world. The whole world's going to experience inflation to some extent. And that's going to be more like what I'm expecting, where inflation happens all around the world. So all the problems that tell you inflation is likely are happening on a global scale. One of the phenomenon that happens in inflationary periods is that people hoard real goods. So they'll buy those white goods, but they also refuse to sell the things that they usually would sell. And so that's one of the reasons for stagflation as well, is that, for example, farmers hold on to food for as long as they can and only sell at the last minute because the prices are rising so fast. So that's the incentive is to, to hoard as long as you can. And that mucks up economic activity a lot. Yes, and certainly it's happening in this country. So just today, um, we read that um, the Bank of England saying that companies are hoarding um, you know, really raw, raw materials, I would say. So that's what they are hoarding. So it's a bit like us you know, hoarding toilet roll, it's, but you've got companies actually hoarding 
bricks and cement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so maybe, as you say, this is an indication of the start of this problem. There's also the concern that inflation is a bit of a momentum phenomenon in the sense that if people expect inflation, then they'll raise prices and, and engage in this behavior, which makes that inflation worse because if they're hoarding prices go up, as we've just talked about. So if we get, as a result of the COVID pandemic, a bit of a spark, a spark that was missing in the past, and that you know, triggers inflation expectations was what economists call it. And as a result of that, the inflation expectations rise. Well, that can become a self-fulfilling prophecy of inflation rising as a result from there on in. So one of the concerns right now is that Central bankers are expecting the inflation to come back down for lots of good reasons that I agree with. But the, this, this spark has now happened. We've got this 5% in the US and however much in, in, in you know, the other parts of the world, but the focus is very much on the US. And that is enough to then trigger expectations to rise and, and to trigger that self-fulfilling prophecy of inflation over the next few years. So... Finally, just to end on a really happy note, you have written about you know, the Weimar Republic, again, in, in your uh, newsletters, and you're not the only one that I've read who's drawn comparisons between that situation and now. Now, that ended in national bankruptcy and Second World War. What could happen here? Yeah, well, I don't, I'm not so good at optimism. I tend to be very pessimistic about the future. I didn't see the pandemic coming, <laughs> which is ironic. <laughs> Over the last hundred years, we've had lots of what are called currency resets, which basically means the leaders of the global world get together and they decide to redesign how the financial system works. So, for example, they went off the gold standard in the 20s, Genoa Conference, Bretton Woods, uh, during World War II, actually, where they decided to go on the US dollar standard, which was still backed by gold. And then eventually the Bretton Woods system ended in the 70s and the US went off the gold standard. We had the Smithsonian Agreement, the Louvre Accord, the Paris Agreement. We've had all of these currency resets where the way financial markets and trade work has just been redesigned by politicians and experts, essentially. So they went off gold, for example, they established floating exchange rates, which was a real shock at the time, the idea that exchange rates can move. And each time the rules of the game get changed. That tends to happen when the existing system has run its course, when the biases in the existing system, which under our current system is too much debt and total US, US control of the financial system, when that gets too extreme. Now, there's lots of signs that we're at one of those points. So for example, China's challenging the US. So the US dollar's value in international trade should fall and has fallen. We've got this inflationary fear. We've got so much debt, the governments are starting to look like Greece and Japan and so on and so forth. We've got demographic problems. So there's a chance that at some point, global leaders get together and say, look, this is obviously not working. You know, we're getting all of these economic problems. Well, what are we going to do? What alternative system can we come up with? And there's a few that they can choose. And there's been lots of systems that have been used in the past. And the debate then between people who, who understand this issue of currency resets is the different merits of the different systems. So for example, when you connect to your, your financial system, your global financial system to gold, then government spending is very constrained, which means you can't run up these financial debts. However, you get fixed exchange rates, which means trade imbalances can continue. So if you have a system that is, for example, controlled by the IMF with special drawing rights, which I won't go into, then policymakers can use tools to control these trade imbalances, or you can have floating exchange rates. All of these different options exist. So at some point, I think there's a good chance that, that the leaders in the world will get together at Davos or at the G7 or whatever it is, and they'll come up with some new system. Now, I probably won't call that a good thing, uh, but it will 
I guess, reset the financial system and create new trends for investing and hopefully we'll, we'll solve a lot of the problems that we're facing. Um, I doubt it, but that is, I suppose, something that people can maybe look forward to, um, even if it does cause a bit of a crisis in the, in the short term. That'll be very interesting. I'd be particularly interested if they thought, oh, let's just move to cryptocurrencies, shall we? Should we just do that? You never know. <laughs> yeah, so the central bank digital currencies are one example of that, using that cryptocurrency or, or a gold-backed cryptocurrency. There's all these options on the table. And one of the things I like to write about is now that we've seemed to be reaching the end of our current system, the US dollar as a global reserve without any backing, what's the incentives and the options and who's going to make the choices? You know, Will China and the US be able to agree on a new system? And if they don't, what does that look like? So I'm not so sure it's an optimistic ending, but it's definitely an interesting one. It certainly is. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you for coming on and putting the wind up us all, basically. <laughs> well, if stagflation does hit, at least we know what's coming or we've got a vague idea of, of what to look out for. And yeah, start buying some white goods and some solid goods, I think. And that's your lot from us today. My thanks to financial and economic commentator Nick Hubble for getting us ready for a potential stagflation situation here and across the West. Check out our back catalogue of podcasts. You can see them in the podcast section of moneymagpie.com or on our YouTube channel, which is called Jasmine's Money, or on your usual podcast provider. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And our handle is, of course, moneymagpie. Uh, you can follow me too on Twitter at, at Jasmine and on Instagram at Jasmine Bertels. If there's a particular subject that you'd like us to cover in our podcast, just let us know on the Money Magpie message boards or get in touch on social media. We'd love to get your ideas. Today's episode was presented by me, Jasmine Bertels. The producer was Jenny Bertels and the theme tune was composed for us by Thomas Hewitt Jones. Music